0: And a very warm welcome to all our listeners today for this um, third podcast in our Euroculture Views podcast series. Um, Today, we're going to talk about Corona and its impact on the Global South and the outlook. It's André Bies on the microphone and with me Robert Planken and Roland van Boven, and we have two special guests today: Xavier Garay from the University of Deusto, who is an expert uh, on aid projects in the Global South, and we also have Ikua Inkom, a fellow Euroculture student at uh, the universities of Deusto and Uppsala. So, welcome all. Thank you. And with that, I hand over to my friend Roland, who is going to ask the first questions to our first guest, Ekua.
1: Yes, thank you very much, André. It's a very nice time to be again on the show. And uh, I also welcome Ekua. Thank you. Very nice <laughs> to talk with you. And uh, yeah, I was just actually curious, uh, like, how did you... Come about the Europe Culture Program? Uh, how did you find it, or and what were your interesting, or what, what did you find interesting about the program?
2: Okay, so after my bachelor's degree, I, kn- I knew I wanted to do my master's, and I studied political science and Spanish for my bachelor's degree, and uh, I worked for a year at the British High Commission in Accra, in Ghana. And I knew I wanted to study international relations, something that had to do with Europe. But I also wanted to focus it on Spanish a bit because I studied Spanish and I wanted that experience again. So I just randomly searched for master's programs and then I came across the Eurocultural program. And then I saw that they had the University of Deusto as one of the universities of the consortium and I applied and I got in and it's been good so far.
3: Unhappy accident, we can call it.
2: Yes, exactly.
3: <laughs> that's very nice. Uh, we're glad you're enjoying the program. Uh, we wanted to talk to you as well a little bit about uh, obviously the pandemic that's been going on. Uh,
2: yeah.
3: And I've, as I've understood, you've been in Europe for all of the duration of the pandemic, right?
2: Uh, Part of it, I was at home when Ghana registered its first cases. That was March last year, March 2020. So I was home back then and I left in October. So I I witnessed it a bit in Ghana, yes.
3: Okay. And you've told us a little bit before that you have uh, some context on ground. Your brother, for example, uh, he's He's, a doctor, I think.
2: Yes, he's a doctor now in Ghana in the capital city of Accra, yes.
3: Okay, so could you talk to us a little bit about how you uh, witnessed the beginning of COVID in Ghana and how your brother sees it today?
2: Okay, so I remember, um, I think Ghana was, monitoring the cases around the world before we registered our first cases and so in the beginning it seemed quite far away we heard about it in China and then in Europe and we could see that it was spreading but it didn't seem really real till we registered our first cases and I remember in I think in the first week of March we had our first five cases I think and I would say that the Ghanaian government reacted really quickly because in Like three weeks after that, when we had, I don't think we even had 500 cases yet, we went under a total lockdown, everything was shut off, no transportation, borders were closed, so I think we reacted really quickly and that really helped with containing the cases in the two more urban cities, I think, of Accra and Kumasi so the covid didn't really spread to the other towns the more rural towns i would say it's more contained in the urban cities
4: mm-hmm. but
2: um but the okay so my brother also started working in september so i guess maybe he was a bit late to it but from his perspective it's it's been quite bad because i i don't think uh health facilities uh, were really equipped to deal with it. So it's it's been okay because as we know, Africa hasn't really registered a lot of cases like European countries. So we've managed it quite well, I would say, but if it had escalated or spread to the other towns, I don't think we would have been able to deal with it. So in the beginning, when we had a lot of our cases, I think from March to, September October, I mm-hmm. think it was it was really bad. There were lack of beds, uh, the protective gears. It, it was a lot of uh, the healthcare workers were also getting the COVID. It was it was quite bad then. But now I think it's it's stabilized. It's okay.
3: All right. So what you say that um, due to the decisive that decisive action of the government, uh, you were able to contain it a lot more. So for uh being in lockdown after only a few cases, uh, you thought that was a good thing to do?
2: Yes, I think uh, the Ghana government really worked well in that aspect, but then there are a lot of theories you know about the, about why it hasn't really spread in Ghana, in Africa in general. People say the weather is a factor as well because it's always hot and sunny. So people say that's a factor. People also say that we don't have a lot of urban areas, so there are not a lot of crowded cities, and so it's not easily spread. But I think uh, the government's decision to have a lockdown immediately and all of that also contributed really well.
3: Yeah, obviously, I mean, we've seen the trends go up and down every single time uh, any European country implemented lockdown. So I can definitely agree that uh, to a certain extent, a quick lockdown would be very helpful. And you said your brother worked in Accra, right? Yes.
2: yes. Um, would, you say,
3: okay. would you say that uh, in Accra, there's the most uh, or the best care available, the most beds uh, or sets more spread evenly throughout the country? Do
2: you mean with the COVID? Is uh, it
3: really- no, I mean, just um, if you've got, for example, because Accra's the the capital, obviously, Um, would you say that the level of care available in the capital is the best? Do you have the most beds there? Do you have the most private deer there?
2: Yes, definitely. In my opinion, I would say so. Um, We have more hospitals there, both private and public, more specialists. So yes, I definitely would say that Accra has more, more or better healthcare facilities, yeah. More and
3: better. So it would therefore be very important to contain it.
2: Yes, exactly. And that, that's why I also think that was a good decision. And so um, we, reg- we barely registered cases in other parts of Ghana. Just a few, really. Yeah,
3: yeah I've uh, been doing a little bit of research on uh, COVID cases in Ghana. And I found that the latest numbers had roughly 100,000 cases throughout the whole country. I should say maybe situated in... We're
2: not even up to
3: 95,000 yet. Okay. Yeah. Um, And I also saw uh, a big thing on the the health services that said COVID is a real disease, which is that there's a little bit of COVID skeptic going on Mm -hmm. with the... For me, that was quite interesting to see that it was so heavily promoted that it was an actual real disease, whereas in uh, the European countries where we're from, that's that's a given. I mean, would you say that's a bit of a difference in the outlook by the uh, population?
2: Yes, I would say so, because uh, especially in the rural areas where Mm -hmm. they haven't witnessed the disease, they haven't seen the effects of it, they don't believe it, you know and um to them even the symptoms with the cough and the cold that's something they get all the time so they Mm -hmm. don't see how it's different from the normal flu so it's hard for them to believe that like it's actually killing people and it's actually a serious thing and ghana is really religious as well so a lot of them say oh god will protect me and all of that so yeah they're really skeptical about it
3: okay Uh, And just piggybacking off that little uh, comment you made that uh, you say that they don't really believe about it and they don't really see anything of that in the rural area. Would you say that, um, because another thing I read was that uh, Ghana's main exports were cocoa and oil, I think.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Would you say that uh, the fact that the European went into lockdowns, that uh, industrial processes plummeted um, did Ghana people of Ghana see any uh, differences or changes throughout their own economical situations through that?
2: Yes, we are definitely seeing it now. even though we we've managed the disease well, I think I think we couldn't handle the effects of it so we are really it's it's really taking a toll on the economy now. Uh, I'm told that um, there's really an inflation now, prices, goods and services have skyrocketed and and things are really really bad and because we also closed our borders and europeans also closed their borders and so there's no there's no transaction going on a lot of people lost their jobs a lot of people were laid off it's yeah it has really really affected the economy now and we really have a national debt now at the moment the government is trying to work on it by, you know, increasing taxes, but it's, it's quite bad now, I would say.
3: Would you, uh, as a, a Euroculture student, uh, a little bit in both worlds, do you think uh, anything you want to do or think to maybe combat this problem in the future? Is there any thoughts you have about mm-hmm. that matter?
2: It's, I guess I would say well, I would advise maybe the government to to take a step back and to stop with the borrowing, because I'm told they are taking a lot of loans from other countries mm-hmm. to try to manage the situation, but that's not helping. That's increasing the, the gap more, you know, so right now it's it's hard to tell how we're going to manage it, but... Um, Yeah, I would say I would say they should take a step back and maybe stop with the borrowing a bit, and maybe let's focus on our economy. You know, uh, small scale enterprises try to build the economy from within. Maybe if that helps, I'm not sure. Yeah,
3: I think that's a very valid point because uh, we obviously you have the Ghana Vision with 2020. With uh, there was a lot of uptick uh, recently before COVID hit. Uh, with uh, becoming a newly industrialized country.
1: Uh,
3: I thought there was a lot of investing in the surface area as well. Uh, So therefore it's obviously a bit of a discrepancy seeing as in the West or in the, not the West, but in Europe mainly, uh, we all go on lockdown and (laughs) we know the fluctuation and we see the, the direct effect So for especially in the rural parts, I can imagine it's quite difficult to link that towards a disease that's not very visible for anybody up there.
2: Yes, and I guess they didn't really understand it as well because everything was closed down. Schools were closed down and they're not seeing the effects of the disease, but at the same time, they have to follow the rules. So for them, it was was harder. I'm told that a lot of students have dropped out of schools in the rural areas, uh, a lot of girls have become pregnant. It's yeah, it's really, really affecting the economy and people's lives.
3: Yeah, I can imagine. Um, well, um, maybe just to end on a bit more of a positive note, I also yeah. saw that the, the, the vaccine <laughs> uptake in Ghana was uh, was getting some traction as well have you heard anything from that yes. from your brother
2: yes uh, i'm told that uh, our ministry of health had already in place like a vaccination system i don't know what for what exactly but they've been using that and so the vaccination process has been really easy in ghana and okay. the people have been vaccinated i would say especially in the urban areas my family for example, has been vaccinated, even oh, though I, I yeah. haven't been there yet, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's been good. It's COVID has had some positive, slight positive effects as well, because I'm told uh, like our hygiene and cleanliness has also really improved. Um, for example, one thing that I noticed coming to, to Europe was that in Ghana, uh, they started like, advertising, you know, the social distancing and wearing the mask and washing hands and all of that. But in particular, we really focus on, on washing of hands. So mm-hmm. before you enter like an institution or a shop, you actually have, uh, we have these buckets called like Veronica buckets, but they're like barrels where you actually have to wash your hands with soap and water before you enter or sinks or portable sinks. People came up with like different ideas to to improve washing of hands, like easy washing of hands. And so we're actually doing that. And then you sanitize your hands before you enter a room or uh, an institution or whatever. So that was one thing I didn't see here. So I don't know if that also helped, but I, yeah, I'm told that the hygiene and cleanliness has improved. And For example, we didn't even uh, record one case of cholera, which is something we, we have all the time, every year. But for last year, not even a single case of cholera. So we are hoping okay. that uh, that improve, continues. This you know, this new culture of um, paying attention to our our hygiene and our health and medication continues.
3: Yeah, yeah. Let's hope that uh, the slight positives we can take from this uh, pandemic will remain, and that the whole uh, Ghana yeah. will be released, least yet a possibility to get vaccinated, and that uh, the yeah. economic will get an uptick again. Uh, yes. And so- I think. On hopefully bright and positive note, uh, we would like to thank you very much for coming on to our uh, podcast, uh, give mm-hmm. us your opinion and your views on uh, COVID and the crisis in Ghana, and we wish you a lot of well for in your future career in Euroculture. and uh, as you mm-hmm. told us, you're going to be uh, studying in the Canary Islands, so
2: have uh, yeah. fun. Thank you
0: very much. Yes. Thank you, you very much, and with yeah, that, thank we're moving you. on to our next interviewee, Xavier Garay. Okay, cut off. Here we go again. And now we welcome our second guest speaker on the show today, Xavier Garay, who is joining us from the beautiful Basque Country. He's an expert in risk management and humanitarian aid projects, project management, and um, we're very happy to have him, Um, we've already been able to learn a lot from him, he's been our teacher in the Euroculture and Eurocompetence uh, segment of our course, and with that I hand over to Rob who's going to ask the first question.
3: Yes, first of all, Xavi, thank you for coming on the show, good to hear and see you for a little bit. Um, as you said, you were doing uh, a lot of uh, risk management projects. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that?
4: OK, uh, so I mean, I started uh, working at the humanitarian aid, as Andres said, uh, 25 years ago or more. And uh, at that time, it was more like running after the disaster strikes to support or to save lives. That was our our main mandate. Uh, Afterwards, we start to understand that uh, disasters happen in cycles. And we start thinking, why don't we start working before the Mm -hmm. disaster? So somehow now, instead of uh, addressing explicitly or uniquely to the needs that appear after any, any kind of disaster strikes a population, we start to make this population stronger for the time when the, the disaster strikes and to help them to recover faster after after it happens. So this is what we call uh, desa- uh, disaster risk management, which is uh, the idea that somehow uh, also joins this old idea of humanitarian aid per se with the old idea of development per se. Uh, both should be together and uh, we round it around this, strengthening population, making them recover fast.
3: Okay, Okay, interesting. Um, Well, if you say diseases or pandemics come in cycles, it's hard not to talk about the biggest ongoing pandemic we currently face in the world, the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, Have you seen any changes in how you conduct projects through or with this new virus?
4: I mean, It is one of the disasters that is striking the world right now, and pretty, it has a very big marketing, so it's easy to see it as the biggest or the, or the strongest. But let's not forget that this is not isolated. I mean, this goes together for many populations, together with the effects of climate change that we can uh, really feel or we can really see right now in some areas of the world. Uh, being directly and strongly affected by by the change of cycles uh, is uh, at the end of Trump mandate, which didn't also help the international scene, and just few years after a huge crisis. So all together is what it makes this uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, something that is going to strike strongly, strongly in the world. It did. I mean, the most, the more visual effects we already went through, mask, isolations, lockdowns, uh, deaths, of course. But, uh, I mean, the joint effort of all these impacts or strikes is going to have a longer-term impact on populations, and we're starting to see, only to perceive it now
3: yeah yeah it's interesting you mentioned that uh obviously there's a lot going on in the world and uh, we were just talking with uh, Ikwe, uh who is who was from ghana uh euroculture student, who i believe was also in the uso i don't know if you had any chance of meeting here and uh we were talking about uh, covid in ghana and how the population perceives it and uh, she mentioned that it wasn't the top of the list it wasn't very visual uh it was more of a, a problem they saw in figures of export, for example, uh, the markets to which the export were very much affected, and in turn, uh, the populations as well. Would you say that, for example, Nicaragua, where you work, it's a
4: similar kind of thing? Uh, Nicaragua, right now, it's going through another big uh, political crisis. I mean, let's not forget, we usually uh, go in the optimistic way and say uh, that every every crisis is an opportunity. I, I do believe that. But uh, we forget why is that. Is that uh, many of the things that we give it for granted before the disaster now disappear. And we have to mm-hmm. somehow our values, our ways of seeing things change.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: this might lead to positive changes. And that might lead also to for those who were the uh, establishment or who, those who, who have the status quo. And now they see the pillars of this status quo trembling. Uh, some of them are going to react on the hard way and uh, repression. I mean, I think we've seen Colombia, Nicaragua, certainly, and many other countries, the political abrasion is growing or the political instability is is growing. This might lead to future positive changes, yes, but uh, certainly in some places, I guess, uh, uh, there will be a a way back in terms of uh, liberties or in terms of human rights, which were also very much diminished by all the Trump administration and the way that uh, this uh, subject was carried on the on the international sphere.
3: Yeah, um, for those of the of our listeners who don't really know, could you elaborate a little bit on the political crisis
4: in Nicaragua? Well, I mean, no, I, I certainly would wouldn't like to focus in uh, one single country, but. Okay. Sorry, I said you... okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, I wouldn't like to focus in one single country and uh, more in Nicaragua because even though I know it well, I mean, you only have one part of the picture, or the way you live it emotionally might lead to uh, might lead to a very subjective point of view. But in general, I think uh, if you see the news uh i wouldn't say we have a better scene for human rights right now or for uh, access to services for the poorest in the world i mean all these things they have take uh, a step 20 years back
3: yes so uh, then we will zoom out a little bit to a bit more of a general picture um for yourself how has it changed to uh work uh remotely
4: Okay. This is this is another part. This is uh, the white man problems. Uh, yeah, we certainly we all had to to change the way we the way we the way we work, the way we the way we connect with others, the way we coordinate, the way we we sit down in front of a computer and try to figure out what is really going on at field level. Um, Honestly, for me, it has changed because I changed my, my duties. I, I'm in a new job. I have a wider view on a whole region, on Central America region. And uh, honestly, I mean, one thing is at the ground level, many people will say things didn't change a lot because of the bubble you live. But when you start working with the macro figures, the, the impact is, uh, is really strong. I mean, uh, when you see that population has been... In uh, in less than uh, one year, affected by COVID, which means uh, one thing for us, which has been in the restriction of our freedoms or the way we had to learn on how to work around computers on distance. But uh, when you go to populations that been a strike or have always been a strike, but severe poverty, and after a strike by two hurricanes, Eta and Yota, and uh, they couldn't uh, either. Uh, work their fields or take their products to the, to the, to the market. They've been a strike as well by, uh, by the, yeah, the, the political effects of, uh, of the previous administration in the U S with the, uh, the, so many people that been sent back, I mean, deported or returned. And also how this COVID, or the impact of COVID on the, on the north and has, it's, it's, has become a decrease on the, on the amount of money that people received from the relatives who, who migrated. I mean, this is a combined force that uh, is striking uh, very strongly to, to, to the populations in the area. So and this is not over, because now we have a drought that might be coming. Uh, which probably will be followed by more hurricanes we already forecast an increase in the number of uh, tropical storms in the area. But this is a a very strong cocktail for those who, I mean, at the end of the day, they don't have a strong state supporting them or they don't have uh, infrastructures to provide them services or um, leave them in a very finding very red line on survival. And this is a lot of people.
1: Yeah, Sabi, thank you. You, yeah, you portray definitely quite a a tough uh, image of the places where you have your experience and knowledge. And that also, for us, the students is uh, on a different level um, um, something that we really care about and, and want to think about, especially, um, considering from us as, as students. Um, would you say like, um, to sort of give us something to work with so we can help these problems in the future. What would you say are your big assets and, and experiences, uh, that have really brought value and that we as students could use as well.
4: Well, I mean, I think uh, we all are facing a different world, but I mean, uh, in terms of our freedom to move around it. But uh, let's not forget that, I mean, even though this is places that might look uh, very far, they are extremely linked to us. I mean, they produce part of the food we, we, we consume. They produce most of the raw materials that we use for uh, our, our products, our technology. And so on. So I think, as a consumers, uh, we have also uh, some kind of uh, impact in what we do, how we do it, what we buy, and when what we what we throw to the garbage. All these things. So uh, thinking that these things happen there exclusively, it's I think the first barrier we have to break. I mean, we uh, everyday decisions might impact also on, on population of this country. So be aware and. Uh, be aware and i don't think we all need to go there or we all need and probably they don't need it they don't need us they have their own ways to to come out from that but i mean let's not forget that this is a single world and uh, act as is as if the problems they are striking there i mean they're striking us
0: yeah that's
1: very sorry Andre go ahead
0: yes i just was going to say uh, isn't isn't like i mean my impression is that covid um, apart from being a problem it's been a huge huge distraction from other problems and i wonder what the bath clash is going to be uh, once uh, we come out of that yeah
4: well, I mean, the world, the world is going to change, but I mean, this world has been changing dramatically since I was a kid. That was the always the end of history. I mean, everything's going to stay like this forever. And things change and uh, the uh, Cold War finished. And then we all try to still apply the old formulas to what was coming and it didn't fit. So we find different ways. Same thing. I mean, the way we, we, we relate to each other? I mean, it's been a huge shift since the uh, beginning of COVID. Let's see how when the time, if they, if they, when, when we'll be able to hug each other, we'll be back to hugging each other, or this is something that is going to be something from the past. Nobody knows what, what's coming after, because it will come from the decisions of every single individual who has gone through two years of stress, two years of confinement, two years of, more loneliness or solitude, uh, people who has been economic dramatically affected on, the econo- on their economical sphere, people who has find solutions to problems they had before that they, they didn't know they had. Or... So this is going to change all of us, and for that reason it's going to change the world. So, and we will adapt, don't worry, we will adapt. Uh, it's going to be tougher for some people, but uh, we we'll all, we all gonna adapt and certainly i mean if you do a cut you i think we all need to do this exercise i mean who was i what were my values what were my the ways i the things i liked the ways i live and on, in on 2019 and what is it now and do we like to go back to 2019 or this is a new path a new individual path and as individual paths, there will be collective paths, new, new ones. But certainly, every crisis is going gonna, is gonna to shake the social, the social network, is going gonna, is gonna to affect the political systems, the trust that people have in political systems. I mean, somehow in the North, we've been uh, going through a lot, but somehow our governments react and they give us some trust that will, will come through. Some other countries with no so strong governments, with no so strong services, uh, the way people see at their, at their leaders have changed, have swift. Uh, we are now going through an elections in Peru, elections even in Spain, which are more, which, uh, where there are positions more and more radical on the table. Uh, populism, um, empty messages, uh, all these things, where they're going to take us, I think this is a big, uh, a big question mark. And I don't think no one can forecast what the world is going to look like in three years, especially if you take as a base what it was before, because that's unfortunately, I don't think it's coming back. Unfortunately, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't sustainable and maybe it was good that uh, somehow it changed.
0: Thank you so much. You've uh, really given us a lot to reflect on and think about. That's all we have time for today. Thanks uh, to everyone for listening. And next week's podcast, we're going to look at uh, our career chances and uh, options uh, for the future. Thank you very much and goodbye.